0: Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Sunday. Oh yeah, Sunday. Well, we're going back for number nine, uh, uh, most downloaded episode of 2023. You might be scratching your head. You're going, Sean, it was December, 2022. Well, full disclosure, I run the calendar year from December 1st to December 1st. So um, the, the episodes that come out here in December will be a part of the 2024 calendar. And if you go back to December 2022, on episode 362, was Ken Drysdale. Uh, Do we remember Ken? The Drysdale Report? Holy Nine Man, like, holy man. 89 pages of a forensic audit of COVID 19. Of course, he went on to be a part of the Citizens Inquiry and everything else. And actually, we've been talking to Ken off and on to try and get him back on. And it just hasn't worked. But, uh, you know, one of the fascinating things about, uh, where I sit, is when you go back and you look at the numbers and see where people spent the most time, right? Uh, obviously, you know, uh, Drysdale beating out Robert Malone. I, You know, uh, on if you put those side by side, you might go, oh, Robert Malone's going to be one of your top, you know, top 10. I'm not slighting anybody here. But uh, Ken Drysdale, a Manitoba boy, slides in uh, to number nine spot. And it was back in December of 2022 when I first sat down with him. So here is the replay of episode 362 with Ken Drysdale. I hope you enjoy it. Happy Sunday, folks. And uh, number nine on the countdown. Welcome to the Sean Newman podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ken Drysdale. So first off, sir, thanks for uh, hopping on.
1: Well, thank you very much for asking me. I, it's been a, it'll be a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you before the show started.
0: You know, it's funny. I, um, your name. I was saying this on the phone when it, when we first talked. Your name has come up uh, through my channels. I, 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 I don't know. It's been months and months and months of uh, of Drysdale, 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 and I don't know why. I, you know, I can never to the listener or maybe even the guest why uh you didn't just pick up the phone and make a couple emails and and, and all of a sudden you'd be on because sometimes that's exactly the way it works and other times it just seems to like it, it doesn't go that way and then you almost fall in my lap anyways because i i it was like three things happened in the same day and the guy and i'm like okay sure like it's happening so it's pretty cool uh, i appreciate you uh giving me some time
1: oh wonderful i uh, appreciate the opportunity
0: Well, uh, let's start here. Um, I think a lot of people know exactly who you are in Canada, but there's going to be a lot that probably don't. So um, let's just start wherever you want for the listener. What's Ken's background? And and then we'll just see where we get to from there.
1: Well, I think the most important part of my background is I'm married to uh, Rosalie. We have six children together and uh, we have four grandchildren. So that's a good place to start. Um, I was... (laughs) I was raised on a, believe it or not, a mink ranch in uh, Stony Mountain as a child, which is just outside the city of Winnipeg. I became a professional engineer in the very, very, very early part of the 1980s. So I've been a professional engineer for over 40 years. Uh, And in that time, um, you know, right from the very beginning, I started to get involved in forensic engineering work. And what that means is just a fancy word for if something falls down, breaks, blows up or doesn't work. They come to me to figure out what the heck happened, and generally, I would write uh, uh, some kind of report that might be used in court, or might be used in arbitration or mediation, or something else. So, um, that's kind of a you know a couple of second summary of of uh, you know my experience and who what kind of a uh, person I am, I guess. And um,
0: well, I think know. we're going to get along uh, quite well. I always enjoy a man whose first thing he says out of his mouth is bringing up his wife and his six kids. Uh, I, I think that's um, certainly needed more than ever in our world. Uh, men who are proud of uh, their family and their kids. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, six kids, that's an awfully big family. you know, I, I come from a family of five kids. Uh, I have three of my own. Um, six is large. Is that was that planned or or did you want more or less?
1: Well, first off, I come from a family of 10 children <laughs> who were raised in a 750-square-foot house with, without running water. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, uh, with all honesty, I had three children. Rosalie had three children in a previous marriage, and we welded the two together. And uh, so we have a combined family of six children.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, you got to take me back now, though. I seven hundred fifty square foot, no, no running water, and ten. You know, it's funny. You're not an anomaly. That I mean, I've interviewed uh, old um, uh, farmers, ranchers, that type of thing, and they have similar stories. I bet you the, the the house though was was quite the place to be, or they just booted you outside every single day.
1: Well, that was that was a lot to do with it, and that that really had to do with survival. <laughs> you know? We have that many. There were always babies in the house too, you know. So, you know, mom was always having a, uh, you know, the, the the birthing process in our house was twenty years. So, the, my oldest sister is twenty years older than my youngest. So, there was always babies and toddlers and everybody running around. So, yeah, if you could walk and stay warm, you were outside the house or you were working in the in the mink ranch,
0: <laughs> and. Explain mink ranch. Uh, I'm 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 drawing a blank here. What What is a mink ranch?
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's something that a lot of folks uh, draw blanks on now. But in those days, starting in about the 1940s, it was very popular for uh, people to wear mink fur coats, and you'll see them in all the old movies. You know, they were always smoking a cigarette and wearing their beautiful mink coat. And, uh, we had a ranch just outside, probably about 12 miles outside of North of Winnipeg. And we had 5,000 mink of various colors from pastel to sapphire. 5,000? Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Whoa. Okay. And
1: and let me tell you, they're miserable little animals.
0: (laughs) They're not not like dogs or cats. (laughs) And then I guess you would, you would essentially farm them for their fur then. Yes. Correct. Because you wouldn't, would there be any other product that comes out of a mink? Well,
1: <laughs> oh. Well, well, to be totally honest, we had a little guy uh, who lived uh, out in the country from us, and he supposedly had a little um, um uh, camel business with a bunch of dogs and, he, and it was true he had about 35 of the wildest most vicious dogs you've ever seen in your life I don't think he ever sold one but anyway this little old guy lived out there and he used to come up to our farm every uh couple of weeks or every week in the summertime and he'd pick up bones and stuff from us and then and then and when we were harvesting the mink he would take the byproducts and apparently feed them to those dogs. So
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Fair enough. That was kind
1: of odd, but it's true. <laughs> and again, you know, it shows you kind of the difference between what's going on today and what was happening, you know, 50, 50, 60 years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's a reason why I'm sitting here going, yeah, mink farms. Yeah. Okay. That it makes sense. But at the same time, we're so past that now that you, you would never even think of it anymore. Yeah. Um, Lead me through, whereabouts are you? You're in Manitoba, correct? Yes. Uh, how have things been? You know, uh, I've interviewed several different people from Manitoba, I think over the course of the last couple of years. But, you know, um, in that, I I sit right on the border of Saskatchewan Alberta. So that's the two provinces. Instead of staring at one province, I get to stare at two. And I can certainly say that I didn't really keep uh, close tabs on Manitoba. Um, how How was the last couple of years? And... Um, certainly how are things now? I guess, you know, kind of give the, the picture to the listener of, uh, of what you've seen there. And, and, you know, obviously your report and everything else can, I mean, all that factors into everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, Manitoba and I, and I hate to say this, but in my opinion, it's true has been, um, a little bit of an abnormality in, in Western Canadian provinces. You know, uh, there's a lot going on in Alberta, uh, you know, right up to the premiership, you know, there's people uh, who seem to be making a difference. And I've got my fingers crossed over your new premier, uh, Daniel Smith. Yep. Um, Saskatchewan, uh, Premier Mole has also been moving, uh, I believe in the right direction. He was a little bit slower off the mark, but you know, they're they're uh, passing, I guess Alberta now passed their legislation uh, with regard to sovereignty. Saskatchewan is in that process. Uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, uh, Alberta, the Yukon, and I believe one other province are now saying no to Trudeau's gun grab, but Manitoba has been fairly silent, and it and it it's been a it's been a it's been a hard push here. Um, it, 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 people seem to think it's all over now. And why do we have to do anything? You know, let's get back to having our lattes and going to Mexico. And uh, w- w- what? what? What are you talking about?
0: I want a latte. I want to go to Mexico. Ken, we're not allowed to do that.
1: <laughs> so, so do I. But I guess to do so, I have to drive across the border <laughs> and take a flight from the U.S. <laughs> but, you know, Manitoba has always been a bit of an abnormality. We, we're different and, and this isn't a criticism. We're different than most, than, than Alberta and Saskatchewan in a whole bunch of different fundamental ways. First way is that Winnipeg is uniquely isolated, where for instance, in Alberta, you've got Calgary and Edmonton and competing cities, supportive cities, and it, and it has some cross-pollination there. Saskatchewan's the same, you know, you have Regina and Saskatchewan, but Manitoba really doesn't have that. I mean, we do have the city of Brandon, but it's not comparable, you know, it's, uh, I don't know the population of Brandon off the top of my head, but it's probably 20,000, 30,000 people. Uh, so Manitoba is fairly isolated. You know, you have to drive 29 50, hours. 50,
0: 51,000 in Brandon. There you go. Yeah. So it's
1: not comparable, for instance, to Regina, Sask- Saskatoon, or, or, or Calgary, Edmonton. And as a result, Manitoba finds itself a little bit isolated and and. You know, the other interesting thing about Manitoba is that, you know, in the summertime, it's almost a ghost city because everybody just leaves. You know, they go to the cottage and cottages are a big, big deal here. I I, I can't even tell you how many thousands and thousands of cottages there are here. So it's a unique city. Um, you know, retailers, as I understand it, when they're going to start a new product or start a new store or a new concept, guess what? They try it out in Winnipeg. Because it's such a cloistered market that if you know it's you know that old expression that you can make it New York you can make it anywhere no 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 it's really Manitoba it's really Winnipeg, and you know our government has been it's reflective it's um you know we've got a new premier there was a lot of controversy when she came to power uh, there were lawsuits involved there was some in my opinion there was some um shady dealings there during the prevent- the uh, the leadership election and uh, our premier has been silent you know they aren't doing anything it's all the same old stuff i wanted to use a different word um you know the the medical officer that led us by the nose through this whole covid pandemic uh, uh, well, he kind of disappeared off the scene and retired and they put somebody else in now. And, and I think a lot of these types of folks are now heading for the Hills because, you know, things are going to start happening here across Canada. So, uh, like I said, Manitoba is a little, a little odd. There is a strong movement here, a strong freedom movement, a strong, um, but it's quite small. And, um, and uh, I would sure wish that our government would start getting on board and, and representing the people like they seem to be doing in Alberta and Saskatchewan.
0: Yeah, you know, i um sitting here in Lloydminster. They, you know, uh, I, I think it was uh, the premier who joked to me that we're the edge of the world because we sit on the border. So, you know, we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, two hours to Edmonton, two and a bit to Saskatoon. And we're just kind of like, you know, a little island plus we're right in the border. So, you know, Saskatchewan doesn't want us, Alberta kind of doesn't want us, you know, it's kind (laughs) of the edge, but when you think about Winnipeg, you're, you're not wrong, you know, like you go east of Winnipeg and I mean, uh, sure. You got, you got towns out that way, but there's not a whole, like your next big center is probably what? Sault Ste. Marie. Would that be? Well, in Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay, but there's nothing in Manitoba. Sorry. Uh, and if you go west, Certainly, you have some cities uh, to the west of, of Winnipeg, but your giant center or big center is Regina, and that's yeah. what five hours away roughly. Yeah, yeah so it's I five mean, hours away. you guys kind of are the edge of the edge of the world uh, when it comes to um, where the population is all scattered into bigger centers. I guess I, I, I yeah. don't mean to knock Manitoba at all. I just I hadn't really thought about it to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's not knocking something to tell the truth about it, you know, and just say yeah, the fair. fact. About it. And, and you know, Manitoba has been very slow, extremely slow, painfully slow to develop some of the resources that we have. You know, I spent uh, 30 years, 25 years working in the high Arctic regions of Canada. Uh, and I understand northern Manitoba and the province overall. And we could be a very rich, successful province, and, and people scoff at that. But you know, look at Saskatchewan. Twenty-five years ago, or thirty years ago, uh, look at Saskatchewan. Look at it today. It's one of the most one of the most progressive, uh, advancing provinces in the, in the confed- in the country in the Confederation, along with Alberta. Alberta is starting to move now in the right direction. Although there's there is some odd animalities going on in Calgary, which is a surprise to me. Uh, having kind of grown up with Calgary, uh, uh, you know, I, I Calgary was a second home to me back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, we did a lot of business there at one time. So, you know, I see a lot of potential for Manitoba and, you know, but the pol- pol- political side don't even talk about that. You know, they, they don't even talk about the development of Churchill as a deep water port, you know, getting rid of the reliance on the federal government to move Alberton and Saskatchewan oil and Manitoba oil to market would be a pipeline to Churchill through the three provinces, sidestep the federal government. Um, you know, the, the people have been whispering about this for years and years. I spent a lot of time in Churchill. I, I designed or was the project manager and one of the chief designers for the airport, there, the airport terminal there. Um, but there's not even a whisper going on in Manitoba. You know, Saskatchewan, Alberta—they're both talking about it. Um, you know, where's a development in our oil patch? We have a, a great deal of oil and gas in Manitoba. Nothing. You know, it—it's really odd. It's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's terrible. It's—it's it's shameful. You know, we're struggling, and we're watching the advancements in Alberta and Saskatchewan with the similar resource base that we have. It's just it's heartbreaking frankly
0: yeah uh, you one uh, you know i don't uh i sit on this side and i you know um relatively new to the political scene and uh, uh but in saying that you know uh when it came to alberta's last uh U- the ucp election when when daniel smith won i mean i would interviewed five of the seven so I, I was pretty you know finger on the pulse so to speak like i was i i totally got it um and yet Danielle came out of nowhere. Right. I mean, relatively, I mean, she's been around politics all of her life. I mean, uh, for her to come in and, and win it as a non-sitting, uh, MLA, uh, you know, and, and to do it in such style and fashion. And now, you know, now may uh, around the book, I know everybody's staring at May now because we're about to have the next election, right. Where it's, this will be a proof in the pudding. If, if, you know, if she can get elected for four years, and actually get to continue on what she's been doing here for the last little bit or is it going to be Rachel Notley and holy holy hell hang on to the cuz that that could be a dangerous little go but you know it's interesting why wouldn't they want to do that in moba would it be would it be the uh environmental side of things they they don't want that going um you know into the church hall and, and and business and and things cuz to me it's like at some point here if if the West just started working together um you wouldn't have to worry about what f- federally the acommotor or Ottawa is trying to push or anything else because you just and then everyone it'd be a net benefit to all three purposes it just, oh,
1: absolutely I mean Manitoba is a bit of a roadblock, and I'm not sure to be honest, I've watched it, I grew up in it, I saw it. I'm not sure why we keep going that way. I have a feeling with regard to the politicians and this is not unique to Manitoba, but somehow conservative politicians believe that by spouting off the rhetoric of the mainstream media that the mainstream media will support them. <laughs> and so and you watch this happen with the federal conservatives. Um, you know, they they thought that they could kind of go against the principles of 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 what their voters believed in because then you know they wouldn't take such a beating in the media but no 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 (laughs) You, you can't convince somebody to hate you that hates you not to just because you want to spout some words and i think that's probably part of the problem here in manitoba first we have a very um unimpressive group of politicians here, particularly in the premiership and those ones that were running. And I know, I, I, I mean, I don't know Miss effenson but i certainly know the people running against her. I've met, but I've had meetings with them and discuss things with them. And and what a group of unimpressive people. And, you know, and it's not just today. I mean, I can tell you stories uh, you know, when I was an engineer uh, working, I was doing business in Europe and all over the world. And it was always interesting whenever I would bring a contingent from from somewhere to manitoba you know i was just doing it on my own and i wasn't saying anything but they always knew so i would get this phone call from somebody in government oh you know we're, we're here to help you Ken, and, and and we'd like to bring them into the into the legislative buildings i remember being so embarrassed one time because i had a group of austrians who wanted to do a biodiesel uh plant so they were going to make an extraction plant an uh, oil extraction from canola plant in manitoba and ship the raw oil to austria and i remember I said yes to a meeting with the provincial government and uh, we were meeting with them and they brought in, I don't know what the heck the portfolio is called now, but in those days it was called industry and trade. And I think it's now industry, trade, climate change, diversity, a whole bunch of other crazy things. But I remember they trotted out our minister of trade and um, that person was a school teacher. And I thought to myself at the time, and I heard all the insane things she was saying to these people from Austria, and I was embarrassed and I remember thinking, why on earth would we appoint the ministry of the minister of trade to I don't know if she was a middle school teacher or an elementary school teacher before she got elected why would we do that we couldn't find somebody who was in industry who knew something about industry and appoint them and you know it that process continues you just need to look at our federal ministers I mean what qualifications do any of them have for their portfolios they're in you know you think if you were had a portfolio in I don't know in trade you would have somebody who had something to do with trade in there and maybe a business person who did international business but nope you know they'll put somebody in there who sold shoes you know and and it's just when you do those kinds of insane things you know it's like when I was running my company if I was gonna if I wanted a bookkeeper guess what I would hire a bookkeeper I wouldn't hire a, 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 a auto mechanic you know i'd hire a bookkeeper if i needed an engineer i hired an engineer i didn't hire a doctor it's just but our government does it completely differently and why do you think we get the results we get well
0: it's a fun system though isn't it because um if you look at uh why that is it's probably because a school teacher felt conviction to run in their area then they win the election because people said person, but then when they get into government, now they need a minister of said position and they're looking around going, well, who can we put in it? We got school teachers. We got no knock on school teachers. I feel like I'm I'm married to one, but it's like putting me in a position of, of honestly energy. And well, I mean, I guess it worked in the oil field, but I don't know Uh, somewhere childcare or something. There has to be something where I'd be like, I'm just like, "I I don't know what I'm doing here, but if you ran and you and you win and you're competent, then they look at you and go, what can you do in this place? And, and then it just seems like it's a bit of a, a flaw in, in our system. And I come back, I've been, I'll throw the idea at you, Ken. It's a terrible idea. Not a terrible idea, but I'm like, how do you recreate kind of like America's got talent, except Canada's got talent for politicians. So you go area by area, and you foster the idea of bringing people out to see who could be a good politician. And the reason I think this is and this is no knock on Garth Roswell. Garth is my MLA for uh our area, okay? He he runs for the UCP, UCP boys wins. I, it's not this isn't any uh I'm not saying anything that isn't no well known, right? I live in a rural area The UCP, the conservatives are going to win. I don't think anyone's gonna touch it. Oh, so you gotta run for the UCP. And I could be wrong on saying this aloud. So maybe there was one that went against him, but I'm pretty sure he's the only guy who ran, which means he's automatically in, which means he's automatically gonna win a position in the next election. Like I it's just like it's hands down. And so I'm like, okay, so we got four years of Garth left. When it comes to the next time, how for an area, do you create "Endless has Got Talent, politician edition, so that you get somebody that you're like, now that, look at all the skills that they can do and, and offer our government. But you'd need that everywhere. I don't know. It's a, it's a silly idea. I just, to me, uh, there's not enough people interested in it or don't know enough about it or don't realize when the dates are or blah, 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 blah. It's, it's a big, big murky game.
1: Well, you know, I, I've been pondering this for, for quite some time, same as you are. Sorry, my—I—I—I'm new to glasses, and and uh, as I'm getting older, I need them, and it, it always seems to me they're moving to one side or another. So,
0: I uh, don't um, feel bad. I, I'm drinking coffee in a white shirt, and I already spilt on it. So that's how my morning's <laughs> going. Eh? Like we're quite the duo here, the odd couple.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 Manitoba just went through a municipal election. And I'm in a. I, I live about an hour north of Winnipeg, so I'm out in a rural municipality. And my rural municipality mayors and the uh, and the councilors were up for election. And my municipality split into two areas, Ward One and Ward Two. So they run three councilors in Ward One. They run three councilors in Ward Two. And they run a, a mayoral candidates uh, are common are the same for both wards, right? So the mayor was elected um, with no opposition. So there by, uh, what's the word? My mind just went blank. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, Whatever it is. But so there was no opposition. She just got in automatically. Ward one had three councillors, no opposition. All three of them got in automatically. It wasn't even a vote. My ward... There were three incumbents, in other words, three people who were already councillors, and running against them was another three or four candidates, I think. So there was like seven candidates for those three council positions. Three or four or five days before the election, there was a town hall meeting. And guess what? None. Zero of the incumbents showed up. The mayor didn't show up. The only people that showed up were the three new candidates running against the three uh, sitting councillors in my ward. Um, guess what? The three incumbent councillors who didn't show up at the debate got in, all three of them. So, how does how do the people of Canada expect a different solution when, in in my instance, in my rural municipality, over fifty percent. Of the of the uh, people were elected by acclamation. That's the word. Acclamation. You don't have anybody yes. running against you, and then the other three um, got elected, even though they absolutely showed complete disrespect for their voters by not even showing up at the town hall meeting. Didn't even bother to show up, and yet they still got in. So, h- how does that work? I mean, how do Canadians expect a different result? Um, now, there is a solution, um, I believe, and it's a grassroots solution. You know, folks like you and folks like I and all of the people out there watching, unfortunately, folks, you got to get involved if you want a different result, and you can't get involved two weeks before an election is called. You know, I mean, the ridiculous thing about Canada, our Canadian political system, particularly on the federal side, is the prime minister can call an election and you've got what's the minimum 60 days or something? He calls an election in 60 days or 30 days or 90 days or whatever it is later, <laughs> you know, so all, anybody who wants to run has to mobilize an almost zero amount of time. Do you imagine the advantage that gives the sitting or incumbent uh, politicians? I mean, we saw it in the, in the politic in the election. And what was it? A fall a year ago in the fall. Um, you know, we have to give up the notion that when an election is called, that's when politicians start coming out. We have to get folks like you and I and, and your viewers out there doing things now, you know, holding town hall meetings now, finding out what people want to say, pushing on, the, on their MLAs and their MPs now. You know, we've had a campaign where we've been pushing hard. On RMP. Uh, and and you know, uh, RMP is a PC. And I well to be completely honest, I'm a member of the PC party. So this isn't a dig against the PCs, but I don't care if you're a PC, NDP, or whatever the heck you are, if you're useless and you're not doing your job and you're getting paid two or three hundred grand a year, I'm gonna call you out. And we've been calling this guy out. You know, we've been asking for, and we've got a fairly large group, we've been asking for meetings. And he's just dodging us, you know. I we we sent letters and and he to other subscribers. You know, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of subscribers. You know, our 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 our, our website, which has been up since June, has had I think it's around one hundred seventy-two thousand unique visitors. You know, our report has been read probably a half a million times across Canada, and he won't meet with us because the last time we asked him, it was a retired police officer who's one of our subscribers, and he asked and. And our MP came back and said, oh, you know, I can't have a meeting with you guys because it's security concerns. <laughs> and, of course, we did a ridiculous post showing a bunch of mafia figures hiding in Selkirk, Manitoba, yeah. and waiting to get this MP who, by the way, showed up at every carnival all summer long. You know, if it was a potato-eating contest or an egg-balancing contest or, or whatever, he was there. Um, and so these people... Just, even at that level, these people are treating us just like our municipal uh, 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 representatives do, where they don't even bother to show up and they just expect to get elected. And the way they get elected is, you know, half of the people vote or 35%, somewhere between 35%, 51% of people vote. You know, that my MP, uh, there's 70, I think it's about 75,000 eligible voters in my riding. Well he won by a landslide. He got 35,000 votes or 39,000 votes or something like that. And then the next person got 9,000 votes. Well he got a landslide, but you know what? He's not untouchable because there's still another 40,000 people that are eligible that didn't bloody well vote and yeah. and unless you can mobilize those people, you're not going to be successful. And unless you start doing it on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, you won't be successful. You know, we had a meeting with our MP last week. We actually got a meeting. And unfortunately, I was in Calgary. But four or five people met uh, with him. And and, um, we're going to have some posts coming very shortly. But you can't believe what our MP, Mr. James Bazan, told us in a meeting, which we have minitized. You can't believe the idiotic things he said because he I don't know why he said maybe that's what he really I assume that's what he believes and we'll be having some <laughs> is this a is this a, a a teaser or what but we'll be having a blog post coming up very shortly we've asked for we're being very 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 fair last week we requested another meeting so we could clarify some of the points that uh, that he brought up so far he's too busy and uh you know we'll wait for a little while longer so I'm not quite just being teasy, I'm trying to be very, very, very fair. And uh, there'll be a blockbuster post coming out in the, in, the, in uh, January. But, you know, if you don't start, if you don't start being citizen citizens, instead of just people taking up, you know, space in our country, to be a citizen, you have to participate. Uh, if you don't start being citizens, you don't start organizing your own town hall meetings, if you don't start sending out blog posts, if you don't start touching The ordinary people who to this date haven't bothered to vote, you will not make a change in this country.
0: Well, I think what you're talking about is just preparation. Um, One thing about the political world that is very, very evident to me is there are people who, to them, it is, uh, you know, for me, a hockey guy, it's their NHL. Yep. it is and and the difference is, is the the stakes are way higher right like i mean uh um somehow uh so, so no, no, I'll finish that thought, so when you get into it, the reason you can't go in two weeks before is they've been preparing for four years, oh yeah right like they they just haven't been messing around with it, and saying that it doesn't mean that they can't uh, be you can't get different people like it it doesn't mean you can't win things it it just you got to be involved and pay attention to the dates and everything else. Actually, I, I, <clears throat> I just wrote down. Um, I just need to figure out the key dates for a bunch of different things because the first thing you can do is know when the elections are coming, right? I, I, I it's funny. I sit here, and you go, "How do you popularize uh, uh, politics the, so that people actually like?" It. No, it's like if you ask me when uh, uh, Canada Day is, well, I know. You asked me when the NHL playoffs are, I know. Uh, you asked me when, you know, uh, trade deadline is, all these things, I know. I can just, like, start spitting off dates, and I'm like, okay. So what we're talking about is baby steps. Baby steps is like we have an election coming up in, well, and for me, I'm just going to spit off May for, for, for provincially because I, I know exactly when that's coming. I know that the importance of that. Uh, I think what we're talking about, Ken, is you you got to find a way to popularize local Because that's what actually impacts me. That's what impacts Ken, is all these local elections that uh, all of us kind of walk by and don't give, you know, honestly, I mean, how much time and effort do you give to and how many people actually vote? It'd probably hurt my brain on how how many people get in with, you know, a couple hundred votes or maybe a couple thousand um, and I'm talking small, I'm talking, I'm talking all the way from school boards and, and city councilors and, um, uh, RMs out here, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, if you just knew you could probably start to, uh, facilitate the town halls like you're talking about. For me, I got, uh, Garth Roswell coming on our MLA. He's coming on in the podcast here. Um, first week of January, right. i I'm, I'm like nervous and excited about it. Cause I'm like, you know, I haven't. Like Garth's out there beating the, and I sound like I'm ragging on him, but it's not like he's out there beating the drum for anything. But I'm like, but for me, he's my MLA. I think it's really important to have him on and talk about things and and get people to understand their local governance, uh, probably more than anything. Uh, it's kind of where I'm at. Well,
1: you know, if you're not watching as a citizen, if you're not watching your employees, if you're not monitoring what they're doing, if if you have so little respect for yourself that they don't even bother to show up to report to you, if, if you keep if you keep mm-hmm. that going, we won't get change. You know, the next person coming in will just be spouting off all the same stuff because once they get elected, you know, perhaps when they're not, you know, when they're outside of the system, they're they're outside of that that bubble. But once they get into that system and after a few years, all they hear is the same rhetoric within this little protected bubble. You know, they won't come out. They won't have town hall meetings. They claim that they're accessible and all oh, you could talk to us anytime, But when you you try to get a, a, a meeting or a conference or something, they won't. And when you write them a letter, you get a form letter back. And I can tell you this is interesting. Um, you know, we have subscribers right across the country, coast to coast, and I hear from them constantly, emailing and whatnot. And and quite uh, unplanned, a number of our subscribers at the same time wrote letters to their MPs about our report and what was going on. And um, we all got responses. And guess what? Different MPs, different provinces. There was one in Alberta. There was one in BC, a couple in Manitoba, a couple of in Ontario. And it was Exactly the same letter, except the name was signed differently on the bottom. The same letter. So you think that even your MPs got a some some form letters in their office that they put together? No, 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 no. They're done federally, and they all have the same letter, and they just have somebody sending it out, sending it out, sending it out. So you know that's just complete disrespect, and that comes out of the fact that they're not afraid of you. You know that. There's an old expression we've but all heard. But they should be. Yeah, we, we've heard that, you know, the old expression a thousand million times. You know, the government should, the people shouldn't be afraid of their government.
0: Yeah. The
1: the government should be afraid of their people. And that's not where we're
0: at. Well, it's just because we're not organized.
1: Uh, we're distracted. You know, yeah. I rem- I remember when I was a little boy... And my father, you know, when he was running the farm, he had to go and visit all kinds of other farms all the time. Every day he was driving hundreds of miles in his old pickup truck. And as a little boy, I used to sit next to dad, you know, and drive down the highways with him. And I remember there were some towns, a little town in Manitoba called Woodlands. It's about, I don't know, it's 30, 40 miles, 50 miles out of Winnipeg. And I remember this is back in the 60s, driving out into the country. And as we you know, I'm always looking out the windows, and dad wasn't a big talker, and so looking out the windows, watching. And, and as we passed the little town of Woodlands, Manitoba, and there was nothing the matter with all the farms and the yards and stuff we saw there, but particularly when we got past that point and we got further away from Winnipeg, more north, the yards were pristine. The hedges were trimmed, the trees were trimmed, the apples were picked, the grass was cut and cut again, and it was just beautiful. Flowers were planted. And I remember saying to my dad, Dad, how, how how come it changed so so much from just as we passed Woodlands to when we got north? And my father looked at me and he said, No TV. <laughs> and that in those days there's no cable, there's no satellite. They broadcasted it on an antenna and passed about Woodlands, Manitoba. There was no television. So people were taking care of their yards. You know, they were involved in politics. They were they were painting their houses. But when they started to get distracted just with the two or three channels we had in the 60s, you could see it physically. And now you've got 500 channels, and you've got endless stuff on the Internet. What's more, frankly, what's more exciting? You know, watching this old broken-down engineer on your podcast or watching uh, the Kardashians do something completely insane, you know, and people are – it's like eating candy. They're they're hooked on it, and they're – they get home at night and they turn the TV on and they don't talk to their kids. They don't talk to their schools. They don't go to church. They they don't have, don't have community. And they're just hypnotized by this thing, by the media.
0: Yes. But I think I'm seeing more people breaking away from it because they Absolutely. realize that they just can't. They can't. It's kind of like I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, First time I ever saw Jordan Peterson live. He started talking about things, and and he talks about this, right? Where he's like, you can see people are like, yeah, I've been thinking that, but I couldn't like put it into words, and you're putting it into words for me. Um, I see, uh, and, and I'm going to speak men. Uh, i got a lot of women who follow me, but I'm seeing it in men right now, that they start talking about something meaningful, and you're trying to pull them towards that, right, of why we need to protect... Uh, the family unit, why we need to uh, protect our community, right? Like, you think, like, I I can't go save what's going on in Europe or down in the States or whatever. But here in my little neck of the woods, we can start to do some things. And I see more and more men in particular going, yeah. Yeah, I like what you're saying there. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't know if that would have been, uh, I could have been one of those guys three years ago, and I would have been uh huh? Sure, yeah, I got I to I get over here and do this, these things, right? I mean, I'm busier than ever, I'm just as busy as anyone these days, but I still, I see more and more people understanding that we've lost community and to try and try and pull some of that back together. And certainly there's going to be people listening, oh, my community, we got a great community. I'm not knocking our community. But listen to what Ken just said, and you go, yeah, there's a lot of the foundation that has been eroded that we're not yeah. with anymore. And we got to find a way back to some of that. That doesn't mean going back to the Stone Ages, but it does. Or it does mean talking about and dealing with some of the most important things about life. And when you talk about being distracted, I mean, there's. It used to be TV. Now the TV is glued to your. I'm no. I'm. I can't blame anyone. That sucker is, You know, like, and you can get anything. You talk about Kardashians, like TikTok reels, Twitter. Right. You can just get on Twitter and just argue with somebody. Some people love that. Right? And it just sucks them in. And, and, and like, I mean, we got to find a way to use, it's a good tool, but we got to find a way to, uh, to, um, uh, to protect our, each of our individual communities. Because once again, and Sean can have the conversation, but Ken, or Sean isn't racing over to Manitoba to, to deal with what's going on there. I, yeah. I do find it interesting though, that we're all starting to speak a similar language and recognize that there are some fundamental problems here that just need to be addressed.
1: Yeah. No, you you you're absolutely right and and I've been saying now for several months, you know, uh, probably starting in August, I was having lots thousands of people from across Canada emailing me and just say, "Ken, I'm ready to give up. It, we've lost it. We're not mm-hmm. getting anywhere." And and I would point out to them and if you go to our our website, the dot 19com and go to the news feed, or blog feed, but news feed, and you'll see me posting on that very thing, you know. At the very time when folks were talking about getting up, we were cresting the hill. In my opinion, we're, we've crested the hill, and we're starting to come down, coming, come down the other side now, you know. You're starting to see even the, the censorship platforms starting to loosen up. You see more stuff on Facebook now than you've ever seen YouTube's still a bastion of censorship. (laughs) interesting. We got censored for one of our webcasts a couple of weeks ago and I just said, okay, the heck with you guys. And we went on every other platform you can imagine. And we haven't missed it. Um, You know, you're seeing news articles now. Uh, Right down to, you know, my brother sent me a news article from the newspaper in Stonewall, Manitoba. And it was an article about uh, 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 injuries. You know, and I'm, I'm being careful with my words. You know, the kind of injuries that I'm talking about, and you no, know, you don't uh, have to
0: be careful. I've been booted from YouTube. There's nothing else <laughs> coming anymore. I mean, That's we can you know, talk about COVID. We can say ivermectin. We can say all the words they don't want us to say. We can just you know, let's well, like, whatever. The it's the same on our
1: us now, um, and you know, you're seeing m- major. Doctors coming out. Yesterday, there was a, a, a senior doctor in the UK that have come out against it. There's a one in Australia that came out a couple of days ago. There's The tide is changing. You see some of the rats leaving the ship, like our, our medical uh, leader here in Manitoba, and there's been a couple of others across the province. Uh, oh, by the way, rat is rhetoric, and that's my opinion, by the way. But, um, <laughs> but you know... Um, you're starting to see movement now. And the mainstream media is doing everything they can to cover it up. And the way it's getting out is through folks like yourselves. And there's thousands of podcasters and newscasters. And, you know, you you talk about, you know, you're a hockey guy and you weren't in politics. Well, neither was I. And, and, you know, since I kind of did this report and threw it out there, I think I've done, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 podcasts. Um, you know, I've been on international shows like uh, Stu Peters and and right across Canada. I've been just about every group that you can think of. And you know, <laughs> what the what the heck am I doing on this? You know, but but it's it's ordinary folks like us who have got to stand up and you and you've got to say something. You know, people people n- know intrinsically how much fear there is right now in our country to our government fear of retribution fear of arrest i'll just give you a tiny little example my wife is a performing artist and we did a a song a couple months ago 6 months ago something called secrets no big deal and we we eventually did a mu- music video on it and it was very fairly generic and it was about generic government corruption and stuff you know and so we we um Always post those videos to the internet, you know, four or five, six hours before they go live, and then we sent it to all the contributing musicians, you know, the whoever they were, and uh, that was like a nine o'clock at night. It goes live at midnight, and I get a whole bunch of emails from a whole bunch of the players. They want their names taken out of the credits. You want your name taken out of the credits for a very generic video about government corruption, didn't name anybody. It was not even nationalized. It you could apply to anything. Um, wait a minute, Let, let's just, just so your audience knows, can you imagine a musician wanting to take their name, a credit off of something? You know, they're so hungry for credit. Um, so I had to delete all of those uploads that went out, edit the video, take their names off of it because they were afraid. They were afraid of retribution. And and you might ask, well, what retribution, Ken? Well, the government has, you know, we're seemingly aware that the government has infiltrated, terribly infiltrated things like schools and the medical profession and a bunch of other professions. But people aren't aware that. There's very little music made in Canada or video made in Canada that's not somehow funded by the government. You know, these musicians are constantly going for grants and 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 all kinds of things from the government and if they make somebody mad at the government guess what they don't get any grants so these people are carrying around this fear that they can't stand up I, I gotta say on this video you know there was one person and he's a musical genius by the way just a music Canadian genius uh, anyway he I phoned him up and I said you know you, you you this is what's happened and 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 you haven't said anything and he said, they're all crazy. <laughs> <What> the? <laughs> and that was it. And um, But, you know, they, look at the professions. You know, the, the professions in Canada were supposed to be self-regulating and self-financed. And what people don't know is about tw- 25 years ago, the government, the provincial government started to pump money into these professional organizations. You know, like the doctors and the dentists and the nurses and the engineers. And... So when the government now tells them, you've got to do this or you've got to do that, they jump. So when a doctor stands up and says whatever he said for the last 50 years, you know, that, you know, his relationship is with his patient, that, you know, that his diagnosis is ba- or her diagnosis is based on observing the patient and knowing what's best for the patient. Now, the College of uh, Surgeons tells them what you will say and what you will do. And they have to do that. And where's that coming from? It's coming from the government and, and medicine and schools and stuff are provincially, right? Provincially regulated, but they're pumping money into these organizations so they can't say no. And so that's how these people are getting blown over and it's in all the professions. It's not just the obvious ones. It's in the music, it's in schools, it's in, it's in churches. I mean, the government paid churches, so much money per head during COVID lockdowns to promote the vaccines and to promote the lockdowns. You know, we have friends who are in a small rural church, and they stayed open. And the government said, "You know, we're going to take away your uh, your uh, tax exemption if you don't do you do be good little children and do what you you want to do." Well, the board got together and the members got together. I think all thirty five of them, and they said, "Go ahead, we don't care." <laughs> take away our tax exemption because we're a small community we take care of ourselves and so
0: you know i don't it's it's stories like that ken that need to be um given a platform Yeah. uh i didn't realize about the churches uh, i knew about a whole uh, you're talking about how how does this happen? Well, the government's kind of just slowly. Yeah, and and, and for, I think everybody kind of gets it right. Like it's like, if I say something and, and I'll use me for example. Okay. When I stuck to, uh, uh, stayed the course of what I've been doing. Uh, my lovely wife said to me, are you going to keep doing it? If one of your major sponsors walks away and I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if they're going to walk away from me just talking about things and opening questions up. I'm like, but I, I get what you're saying, you know. Yeah. Now that I do it full time, it's like you, you got to. Yeah, I get it. Money, yeah. money is convincing. So when yeah. you talk about academia and getting grants, where does the grant come from? Where does <laughs> musicians and athletes, you know, I'm thinking Olympians, uh, you know, where does a lot of their money come through? Uh, these big organizations, and it's a an, it's a nice little web. It's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, but, look at, your, look but at you. But you bring up the church and the small community. It's like. We should be talking to them, Ken. We should be finding out who the key couple of players were, give them an opportunity to explain how they, how they, their thought process, why they did that, how they went about it. So other people can hear it and go, oh, because we're, I mean, we're, we're Canada. We we got so many small little communities. It's not even funny. Like that's, that's the backbone of this country, especially the West where there's all these little boards that just needed an example to go from. And uh, they, they, you know, we were all put in uh, islands and silos and told that there was no, 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 this is how everybody's doing it. But you hear of that and I go, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Because most people would have been like, okay, yeah, no, carry on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and we really saw that. I mean, we, you know, uh, ourselves, we used to attend a small little rural church and when this stuff rolled out and I'm not suggesting they got any of the money, I have no idea, but you know, the insanity that went along with it, I remember, I was out of town. My wife went to church that Sunday, and uh, uh, one of the elders came up and said, oh, you can't be here. And my wife said, why? Well, you didn't phone ahead. And although we're not at our 35-person maximum, somebody comes. You're going to have to leave. And in that moment, my wife said to me in her head, and she said to me <clears throat> more loudly than that when I got home, we're done. We're not going back there again. This isn't, this isn't teaching the gospel this is, this is teaching the gospel according to Dr. (laughs) Rusin or, or, or the uh, Trudeau or whoever the heck you want to name, you want to put in there. And we moved on to somewhere else. Um, You know, and those are hard decisions. And, and, you know, on our own little thing there, the true facts, c19.com, we take no money from anyone, nothing, zero zip. I get emails constantly. From, from subscribers. <laughs> I, got a, I got a fellow who called me a week or so ago, a really nice man, and wanted to have lunch with me. So we met him for lunch, and we had lunch, and he pulls out his checkbook, and he says to me, just a wonderful guy, by the way, he pulls out his checkbook, and I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm going to give you money towards the uh, true facts, because I know this is costing you lots." And So I said, no, 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 we don't take any money. And why don't we take any money? Because the moment you take a penny, you're subject to attack. And an example of that is when we in Winnipeg did the gathering at the RCMP of September 3rd, there were about a thousand people showed up and that whole intent of this thing was, it was, it was very professionally done. We um, we invited um, the RCMP to come speak to the crowd. It was very organized. There were a number of speakers, two police officers spoke. I spoke. Uh, there were prayers, very organized, very good. We, and we, We wrote registered letters to the RCMP two weeks ahead of time telling them what we're going to do and that we would hold a spot for their speaker and we would guarantee their safety because we had all kinds of police in the, in the, in the crowd, you know, retired uh, RCMP, retired uh, city police. And we, 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 we did all of that. We got a thousand people to show up on Labor Day long weekend in Winnipeg, which is pretty incredible. And you know, the police, locked the doors. They wouldn't come out. (laughs) They were filming. There were police in the windows. There were police in manhole covers. There were police disguised as telephone poles (laughs) videotaping us. And of course, we all know who they were. And we, at the end, there were about three or four hundred people that showed up with copies of the report. And they had gone in single file at the front doors of the RFCMP station and each one laid down a copy of the report at the locked RCMP headquarters doors. There were people there praying. There were Christians praying. There were Muslims on their hands and knees praying over the, over the books for something to happen. And, and my point on this is with regard to money, one of the things we asked people to do was bring a copy of the report and wear a white t-shirt that you can put on with hockey tape truth. You can write it on with a thought marker. You can order it and people being people, Time slipped by and, and and people wanted me to order shirts. So I ordered a whole bunch of shirts online and they cost me like $13.98 a piece, including shipping. And uh, I sold them to the crowd for $15 a piece. And, and OK, so that's a dollar and two cents uh, that came out of it. And but what I did was when someone came up every once in a while, I would give them the T-shirt for free. And I would tell them, you know, somebody's, you know, they're giving me a dollar too much. I just didn't want to deal with the change. They gave me a dollar and two cents more than I paid for. So here's a free one. Here's a free one. And I'm sure I gave away a hell of a lot more free ones than I needed to, but I did. And, you know, I got hate posts and hate emails that I was profiteering (laughs) for selling T-shirts for $15 that cost me whatever it was, $13.90. I published the invoice from the company. And I had had people come out and say, no, no, he was giving them away. (laughs) So, you know, a small thing like that gives them an opening to attack. And, you know, we paid a, you know, we we did impose some significant costs on ourselves. You know, we run the website. We've got the commercial website. we, We get phone calls from people or emails from people all over co- country. You know, sometimes they're a little bit older and they don't know how to print it or they're in a small town and they can't print it. So, you know, I print an 89-page full-color document with a Sirlox binding on it, two or three copies, and I mail it to them. And they don't have to pay anything. And There's no subscriptions. There's no, you can go on the site and you can access it anonymously. You can download the report anonymously, you know. So we've chosen to do that. Because as soon as you start having money involved, then you're subject to an attack. And just like with my t-shirts.
0: <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like, Ken, you're always, this is just me, because uh, um, I don't know if I'm getting thick, thicker skin or whatever, but pardon the French. Fuck them. Uh, to me, when I, when I hear that, I'm just like, man, they're, they're looking any reason to come after you. Uh, for a vast majority of us, we're all looking at what you've done and what you're doing. And, uh, you don't feel like no snake oil salesman to me. That's just me. And I feel like a lot of the audience that's listening to this is like, they get it. Uh, But you, there's no way you can, you can navigate this thing perfectly. I do admire you not taking scent. I think that's a, I think that's a great, uh, um, value to have, like that you're not trying to, uh. All of a sudden, make a million dollar company out of people's pain and and a tough situation, and everything like that. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm also like, cover your costs, right? Because if you go broke doing this, um, then we lose Ken. And I, I'm 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 more saying that not to Ken, certainly to Ken, but to anyone listening as well. It's like, yeah, profiteering is one thing, but keeping afloat so you can keep doing what you're doing, uh, we need. More Kens, not less of them, and uh, the attacks. No matter what you do, if you're on this side, are coming, and they're going to keep coming, and they ain't going away. And so, no matter how small or big of an opening you give them, they're gonna, they're gonna. I mean, they're gonna come after you. they no matter what you do.
1: You know that that's very true. Um, but we've also, uh, I also understand because of thousands of emails I've got from people right across the country that a lot of folks can't afford. That's true. Something like this. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, I don't know what the number is. I mean, I can look on my website and I can tell you. As a matter of fact, we did a post the other day about where in the world have people downloaded our report. And there's a map that we did on the newsfeed, And it's every continent on Earth except Antarctica. But every continent on Earth has downloaded our report. And and there's blue dots and there's different colors of blue. It shows you the thousands and thousands of people in different areas. Right into the Middle East, Japan, India, Africa, um, Iceland, (laughs) everywhere in the world has downloaded our report. And so I get emails and and people telling me their stories and people asking for help. And I, I would say that the vast majority of at least the people contacting me are older people and i'm when i say older and i'm you know in my 60s um people who are probably 50 plus um is that and i don't know why that is is that because young folks who are still working are scared of losing their jobs you know they're scared of having the bank cancel their mortgage or their credit cards or having the government come after them i don't know um, you know, it's un- it's not uncommon for me to get an email from someone that says, "I've never emailed before. How do I download your report?" And I said, "Well, right on the cover page there's a big yellow button that says push the button to download." And they don't get it, so I sent it to them. You know, yeah. but there's a lot of those kinds of folks who are not political. They've been living their lives, they've had good lives in Canada, we all have. You know, they're supposed to be retired, they're supposed to be enjoying their grandchildren. And they're becoming activists, or maybe that's not the right word. They're becoming people who are standing up for their
0: God. They're becoming activated.
1: Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, they're waking up. And they've never done this before, and they're not computer literate particularly, but gall darn it. You know, I've got people who have copied the report hundreds of times and taken it to every police station, church, school,
0: well, Hospital. let's 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 talk about the report you know it's it's funny i, I that's why i brought you on you know <laughs> and then and then it, it, like a good uh a good podcast in my opinion it, it just went where it wanted to and something very top of mind right that obviously both of us are thinking about but let's talk about the report you brought it up a couple of times um maybe people haven't heard about it ken yeah. so l- l- let's just give the background of it and and my wherever you want to go with it okay well um
1: Oh, gosh, goodness. This whole thing, and and people should know how we got involved. I'm not a particularly political person. I was involved politically just for business purposes and for many, many years, you know, where I would shake hands with this person or go to that fundraiser or something, mostly for political purpose or for business purposes. But, you know, when the lockdowns in Manitoba got absolutely draconian and ridiculous, it was about October of last year, there was a small group of us actually it was two couples who got together at our, our house and we had dinner and we had drinks and we said listen we're all isolated you know we can't go to church we can't see each other we are we're, we're members of social clubs that all of a sudden we couldn't go to and and at that time that's when the government came out and said well you know if you're carrying around your covid passport papers please then you can come into these places but we weren't and so we talked about, toyed around with, and said, you know, we should start our own little social club. And two or three weeks later, there were 35 people in my house. We had a fully catered dinner. (laughs) We had just people of like mind who had felt that they, or government had attacked them, who were outside of their communities. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't go to work. So we had them in our home. And Then we had another just before Christmas, and now the group had grown to about 40 people. And a couple of people once again got together, and I wasn't a part of it at first, where they started saying, this is great. We now got a little community here going, and we're feeling inspired, but we need to do something. So my wife and two or three of these people got together, and they were talking about it. And my wife said, we should get Ken involved. (laughs) You know how people say they get inspired by that little, that small, still voice? Well, my small, still voice is a five foot four four brunette. (laughs) And she came and she dragged me in there. and, And the folks were, as you would expect, they were talking about, you know, we should get together and we should write a report, some kind of report that quotes, you know, the experts, Dr. Alexander, Dr. Malone, those kinds of people. And I listened and I was kind of sitting in the background and having had 30 or 40, sorry, 40 some odd years of forensic engineering experience, I said, you know, If you write a report that quotes experts, you've lost because nowadays you can bring in an expert to say anything, anything, you just pay them. You know, you had a judge, Supreme Court judge in the United States who was nominated and in the Senate, somebody asked her, I don't remember who it was, what is a woman? And this woman who was nominated for the Supreme Court couldn't say what a woman was. So uh, prime example And so I I, I thought about it and I said, really, what you need to do is you have to use information that the government cannot dispute because they've said it themselves. So what I, so then it occurred to me is let's go out, let's go to Statistics Canada, let's go to Health Canada, let's take a look at reports that the government of Canada did themselves, let's take a look at any planning they did for pandemics, let's take a look at their news releases Let's take a look at what they were telling patients about the vaccines. And let's just examine that and see what it says. And I had no idea what it would say. And I said, you know, guys, since I'm the only one here that's ever done any kind of reports like this, I'll take it on. And then at that point, someone said to me, well, you think you'll have it done by the end of the week? (laughs) And I laughed because it took me, you know, six weeks and like I think it was 160 or 180 hours worth of work to get this report done. And so what I did was it 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 came out as this report, which again you can download off our website. You can see on the on my uh Nomaker there that, yep, that uh,
0: the true website. facts uh c19.com. Yeah you can download and, I, a, and, and I'll put it in the, the show notes. I'll make sure to to put the, the website in the show notes.
1: And so again the approach to this report was I would go and take a look at how many people for instance the, the government was telling us if you were seventy years old or older and you got COVID, it was a death sentence. So I thought to myself, so what were the mortality rates for Canadians 70 years of age and older in 2019? And according to Statistics Canada, your chance of dying from any cause, if you were 70 years of age and older in 2019, were 1 in 32. I mean, that's pretty scary. You know, I'm in my mid-60s, 1 in 32 is pretty scary. So then I looked at 2020, And how many people did the government say in that age range died of the COVID? And and I'll talk about that just in a bit, but just taking their own numbers. And it turned out that your chance of dying of COVID, if you were 70 years of age and older, as reported by the government of Canada in 2020, was one one in 324. So you had 10 times more chance, more risk of just dying than you did of dying of COVID. Now, a number of your listeners are going to be kind of banging their fist right now because we all know that the government of Canada reported dying with COVID as a death by COVID. In other words, if you came in in a car accident and you went into the ICU and you were bleeding, they they counted it. And by the way, that was under a WHO protocol. It had never been done before in Canada, but we adopted an outside agencies protocol for uh, uh, identifying and reporting deaths by COVID. So that's not, I didn't, I didn't allow for that. And that also doesn't allow for the fact that the PCR test was inaccurate, arguably somewhere between 40 and 90% of the time. It was like a, a, lot of, a, a, a lottery wheel. So I didn't, I didn't include any of those considerations and yet Using their data, the way they gave, they reported their own data, 70 years of age and older, which was the, the, the most risk, uh, 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 the, the population most at risk, they had a 10 times greater chance of just dying than you did have dying of COVID. And so then I thought, that was the first little statistic I looked at. Then I started looking at other age groups. And I looked at, for instance, people under the age of 19. And your chance of dying of COVID was like one in four million. Your chance of dying for any reason was like one in 1,400. That's people 19 years of age and younger. You know, interestingly enough, your chance of having a severe reaction from the vaccine, as reported by Health Canada, in that age group, 19 years of age and younger, and that's as of uh, um, in 2000 and um, Sorry, it was in May this year, so it's gotten worse. But your chance of getting a severe reaction was 15,996 times higher than your chance of dying of COVID. and, And so I looked at different age groups. And then I looked at I got the monograph from Pfizer, not necessarily to pick on Pfizer, but I got the monograph from Pfizer, which told you, you know, the monograph. Some people don't know what that is, is when you go to the drugstore and you just spent one hundred dollars on two aspirins and you open up the little box and there's this piece of paper that's folded up a million different times. You pull that out and it tells you all the risks and stuff. Well, I looked at that and the risks for children. Now, again, considering what the you know, that your risk profile was one in four million million of catching COVID and dying from it. And again, that doesn't account for, was that one in 4 million kids dying of leukemia already? Did they die in a car accident, but they had COVID? Don't know, don't know what the answer to that is, but just using their stats. But then I looked at the monographs that, that, that the government of Canada had had approved. You know, they had, they had that information when they approved the, the, um, the, um, the shots. And holy smokes, they didn't do it. Pfizer didn't do any testing on kids 19 years of age and younger. There was a couple kids between 16 and 19 that happened to be in their test, but nobody under that. You know, they they identified all the way back then. They acu- identified acute allergic reactions. They identified myocarditis and pericarditis. And you know what? Those are two words I never heard of before. Um, there was no studies on fertility. No studies on how it affected the immune system. No carcinogenic studies. Carcinogenic means does it cause cancer? Didn't yeah. do any studies. And so I was shocked at that. And and then I looked at other statistics, again, talking about kids, you know, 19 years of age and younger. And your chance of dying from suicide, 19 years of age and younger, was 39 times higher than your chance of dying of COVID. Can you imagine if we would have spent the billions of dollars on suicide prevention for that age group when we had 39 times the number of people dying from suicide? We had 13 times the number dying of homicide, 127 times dying homi- of, of accidents. And you know what? Influenza killed 16 times many kids in 2020 than it did uh, of COVID. Cancer, 112 times, 112 times. That's, by the way, that's not 112% more. That's 11,200% uh, more. So it's 112 times the rate of death from COVID. Now, so then I went further because, you know, I knew somebody during this time. The couple, the wife was pregnant. And every time she went to see the doctor, the doctor was screaming at her. got to take this, got to take this, got to take this. And, and she was going to, but the husband didn't want to. And I'm, I'm, you've, got to have, you've got to know this caused a lot of problems for this, this young couple. So I looked at pregnant women. And, you know, I identified, well, how many, peop- how many women are there in Canada between the ages of 18 to 39? And we figured out how many of those were. It was, um, it was like little over 5 million, 5.1 million of them. And then we looked at what did the government say how many of them just died there was 2,880, uh, 2,890 died in 2019, just for whatever cause. So that means you're, if you were in childbearing age as a woman, between uh, 19 and 39 years of age, your chance of just dying for any cause was one in 1,763. Now the government reported 20 deaths from COVID in that group. Again, not disputing, was it with COVID? Was it yeah. bad test? Who knows? But that, That means that your chance of dying of COVID, if you were in the childbearing ages, was one in a quarter of a million of dying from COVID. Your chance of just dying was one in 1,700. You know, your chance of dying just from being pregnant was one in (laughs) 15,000. Let's just stop there for a moment. Your chance of dying from just being pregnant was one in 15,000. Your chance of getting COVID and dying of it was one in a quarter of a million. Now, again, your chance of dying from uh, influenza was one in, one in 100, 175,000. Your chance of dying of an accident was one in 7,800. Chance of dying of suicide was one in 15,000. Remember? Dying of COVID, one in a quarter of a million. Dying of suicide, one in 15,000. So then I thought to myself, You know what? If I was in a burning building up on the third floor and if I stayed in that building, I had 100% chance of dying. If I jumped out the window, I had a 50-50 chance of dying from the fall. What do you think I'm going to do? Now, my wife argues with me, no, Ken, you wouldn't jump out of the window. Damn right I would because I'd have a 50% chance of living. So I thought to myself, okay. so now we know the risks of you if you were in childbearing ages what your chance of dying from COVID was one and a quarter of a million. So just like the idea of jumping out the window in the fire. So I wanted to look at what were the risks of taking the vaccine for women who are pregnant or, 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 or or breastfeeding or those kinds of things. And so once again, I went to uh, Pfizer and I looked at their monographs and just like me in the burning building. Okay. Let's see. If I jump out the window, I got a chance I'll live and I have a chance of, you know, getting squished when I hit the pavement. So what were the risks of taking the vaccine to these women? Well, number one, according to Pfizer's own information, and by the way, it's in the report that there's copies of the information like screen captures. They did no testing, zero testing on pregnant women, none. They did no fertility testing. They didn't do any testing as to whether or not the vaccine crossed the placenta. In other words, did it get into the baby? They did no testing for fertility. They did no testing on did it get into the milk. They did no testing on cancer-causing agents. They did no long-term risk assessment at all. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember thalidomide, and maybe a lot of your listeners are younger and they don't remember thalidomides. But that was a drug that the medical and the pharmaceuticals uh, introduced in late 50s and 60s, and they marketed it to pregnant women, and it caused an incredible amount of mutations, and they crippled I don't know how many babies. And this thing, mRNA vaccines, that had never been used before in humans, didn't do any proper testing, no testing on pregnant women and your chances so you have all of that risk no testing no testing no information and this is Pfizer's own words this isn't my words you can read it in the report Pfizer's own words they, they, they had they had no idea if there was any reproductive toxicity because of this stuff now think about all of that think about that your chances of Con, uh, contracting COVID and dying of it, if you were in the in those uh, years for uh, women who could get pregnant, one and a quarter of a million, your chances of just dying for any cause, about one in 1700, one in 1800, something like that. So are you going to put your children at risk, your babies at risk to this unknown for a, a statistically insignificant risk of catching and dying of COVID? So then we looked at what was the printed information that the government was telling uh, women when they came into their doctor's offices and again the report there's copies of it here the actual copy from the government of Manitoba and the first thing they say is how safe vaccines are because we've been using them for 50 years so if you're sitting in the doctor's office and You haven't taken the time to search out information, which in those days was really, really hard to find. And your doctor tells you, oh, here's an information bulletin from our government. We've been using vaccines for 50 years. No, mRNA shots never met the definition of vaccine until they changed it a year or two ago. And it's never been used before. Completely new technology. Never been used before. And here they're telling you, oh, it's safe because we've been using vaccines for 50 years. I mean, if you're listening to a doctor tell you that, have you made an informed consent? Did the doctors know? You know, as, as a professional engineer... I used to see crazy new products come out all the time. And I used to, I can't say that I ever got a directive from the government, but I would like to think that if I got a directive from the government, I was a structural engineer, by the way. Ken, you're going to use a six-inch beam. Six, 17-inch beams aren't, aren't allowed anymore. Then I would just go and use a six-inch steel beam and have it collapse and kill somebody? So my question is on the, on the medical profession, did you not question any of this? Did you not look at the monograph of the drugs that you were pushing down the throats of your unsuspecting patients? If you simply took the information that was given to you by salesmen, pharmaceutical salesmen, shame on you and more. Shame on you. And and again, this isn't my opinion. This is the information that the government gave and is still giving. I mean, so, so we looked at all the numbers for different age groups. We looked at the risks as posted by the government and by told by the manufacturers. Then we started to look at and it's, it's fascinating. We started, oh, by the way, there was a little statistic that we stumbled across that people are just starting to talk about now. But the number of live births in Canada in 2020 as compared to 2019, went down by, I think the number was about 12,000. And yet no one questioned it. I don't know about Lloyd Minster, but I can tell you about Winnipeg in the wintertime. When we get a blizzard and people are stuck in a house for a day or two, we get a, nine months later, we get a small baby boom. Now the government locked these people in their houses for months and a birth rate went down by 12,000 or so. And no one's questioning it. Not a single person. There is some talk coming out now. But this information was available back in 2020. Now, before I lose my train of thought, because you'll notice I do that several times, is the other thing people have asked me is, Ken, well, why haven't you analyzed the 2021 data yet? You know, we're in December of 2022, and you keep talking about 2020. Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. First, 2020 is pretty good data because there were no vaccines available. Therefore, there was no um, clouding of the data because of vaccines or potential vaccine injuries. You know, the weakest people hadn't been exposed to it yet. So you would have expected the most mortalities in the first year that this tidal wave supposedly hit the country. Now, the last and most compelling reason why we haven't analyzed the 2021 data yet. Statistics Canada hasn't released it. Now, wait a minute. 12 months after 2021, which is probably the statistics that were the most needed in this country's history, Statistics Canada in December of 2022 hasn't released it yet? Think about that. So then the next kind of part of this report is we started to look at the messaging that the government was using, and um, and um, I just want to let folks know that if you're intimidated, if you download this 89-page report and you're intimidated by it, don't be. We have created a series of 13 webcasts that are hosted by, I think the first four, I think we're up to 10. 10 have been released on our website right now under the webcast tab and each one's about 20 to 30 minutes long and they go through the report page almost page by page section by section and actually explain to you the 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 webcast is called what that means is (laughs) and so they will tell you something the government said and then they'll say what that means is the first show two four shows are hosted by rosalie drys my wife and and mr chris riddell who's a retired police officer The show. The next four shows after that were hosted by myself and Rosalie, and then the last series of uh, shows, the last uh, four or five of them, were three hosts: myself, Rosalie, and Chris Riddell. So very good. It's a conversational type webcast, very understandable. You can follow along in the report,
0: and you can find uh, it on YouTube. All you got to do is type it in, type in the name, and it's all there.
1: We've only got two or three or four episodes on YouTube because when we when we published. I think it was episode five or four, YouTube gave us a strike and said, they were okay. going to take us off. So we just abandoned YouTube and said, hell with it. It's on Rumble. It's on, it's on our website. You go to our website, you see them all. It's on Bitchute. It's on uh, Truth. It's on uh, 100- 100. Ken,
0: can, when you, uh, I mean, and you can keep going, uh, the the stats, uh, the the um, the other thing for people is you sent me uh what do you call it? Is it? It's just like a 13-page document with some of the almost everything you're talking about, like broke down nice and easy. Pictures. Yeah. It just shows you everything. You're like, yeah, eh. we did. We did infographic
1: pages. Thank you, infographic. Which are, which are uh, this is one, mm-hmm. for instance, and it deals with what are your odds. And there's a series of these infographic pages all through the report and on our website. When you go on the first page, you'll see a picture. You'll see this picture of the report right at the very big top. And right beside it, there's a series of yellow push buttons. And you push one, you'll download the report. You can push two, you download the appendices. You can push a button and it just downloads the infographic pages for you. There's another button you push, believe it or not. You download this little business card. And on the back, you can print it out yourself. It's a double-sided print. There's There's a QR code. You can scan that and it'll download the report into your phone. You know, funny thing about these cards is, Thousands, tens of thousands have been handed out. You know, the, the, the best story I heard about these is my wife was coming back from Edmonton. She was in Saskatchewan, and you know, my wife has a tendency to drive like the wind, and the RCMP pulled her over. And she she charmed this fellow, but you know, he did his job and he gave her a ticket. And when he handed her the ticket, Rosalie reached down in her purse and she said to him, Officer, have you seen this? <laughs> And she gave to the RCMP officer. He thanked her for it and took it. <laughs> so people are giving these out. You know, they print them. They got a pocket full of them, and they're somewhere, and they just hand them out. Kim, um,
0: uh, maybe you, maybe you, maybe you talked about this uh, at, at some point, but it 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 uh, it's still stuck in my mind, and I can't remember if you talked about it or not. Um, what was your background into preparing reports like? Uh, you know, the, the critic is going to be like, oh, who's this King guy? And what, why can he do a report? And blah, blah, <laughs> da, 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 da you know? It's it's interesting because uh, the, out here in Alberta, I know two different guys, and I think the listener does too, Marty up north and yep. Yakstack. Those are two guys who followed the Alberta data, uh, still do, um, like just crazily close. And they could just talk about it at will. Um, your background, though, I think would be interesting for people to understand why... Uh, it um, lent a hand into building uh, such a report and why, uh, you know, it lends it credibility uh, amongst other things.
1: Well, um, you know, I spent, uh, and I still am, but I spent over 40 years in as a professional engineer and one of my specialties, I'd say I had two specialties in my career. One was working in the high Arctic and designing and buildings there. And the second specialty was Uh, preparing forensic engineering reports. I've, I've, you know, I don't even know how many thousands of reports, probably at least hundreds and hundreds of forensic engineering reports. Now a forensic engineering report is you look at something, something's fallen down, something, somebody's gotten hurt or killed in an accident. Uh, A machine didn't perform the way it was supposed to, uh, something broke. And so you go in and you investigate all the circumstances surrounding that thing you 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 evaluate all the regulations that there are that uh, affected the contractual requirements and you write a detailed forensic report which often my reports were often used in trial uh, or they were used in mediation uh arbitration i had some where i would prepare the report um, getting ready for trial but when the report came out they just made an agreement um So these would be very detailed technical reports and I would have to write them in a way that anyone could understand them, you know, because you're in, if you're in a trial situation, you know, you've got lawyers, you've got judges, you've got witnesses and from a vast variety of backgrounds and expertise and they would need to be able to understand it. So when you read one of my reports or hopefully this report, um, you're not going to be inundated by giant ten dollar words you know you're gonna you're gonna have things explained to you in plain ordinary English and you're invited to go out and and research it on your own and there's a lot of the links for where all the information came from are there for you to go look at don't believe me time from believing experts is over you need to question everything you need to look at everything so that's kind of because we don't want to put your your listeners to sleep that's kind of that's
0: no uh, like, i i don't think you're putting them to sleep I, I to me um i just it's really interesting right you do forensic audits you you look at you look at uh uh death and the workplace essentially uh, yeah and, and or equipment failure or whatever you, you and, and then you go in and you look at all the facts and you try and build a report essentially and I'm kind of putting words in your mouth and I hope I'm doing uh, you're nodding you head that, that I'm but like and then you put a report together that says this is kind of what happened this is what it looks like this is what the facts tell us blah 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 so when you when you're staring at uh, COVID-19 one of the cool things I think a lot of listeners did and it was probably the best thing I ever did and I uh, so when they make fun of it I laugh about it I'm like uh, and that is go do the research yourself right because the one the, the, the thing is is like it's on all the websites, right? You yep. not just Canada, United yep. States, Sweden, uh, blah, blah, blah. I can rattle them off. And then all the States had it. So you could do, you know, my wife's from Minneapolis or Minnesota. So I did Minnesota. I did North Dakota or South Dakota. Sorry. Cause they, uh, they were, uh, left things wide open and, and then you start to see. Oh, like it, it's, it's like literally right there. This is basic math. You can just start doing it. And once you see that, I mean reading or listening to Ken or reading his report is one thing. You start to do the things yourself and it is the most eye-opening experience you you will ever get. In saying that, I'm glad you did what you did because for some people, that's maybe the first step or maybe that's all they needed and they're just like, oh, boom, okay, this makes complete sense. Uh, Why is it, you know, um, I think uh, Matthias Desmond uh, talks about, uh, you know, the the psychosis and all, all those different things. But why Why is it that, you know, you, you talk about the simple stats. I think it was one in 250,000 or, you know, and overall mortality was like one in 15,000. It doesn't matter. You get the point. It's a ridiculously giant discrepancy in numbers, right? Percentages. Yes. Why is it that that doesn't translate to more of the population? Or do they just not care? Or are you starting to see more people picking up your report and going, oh like i I don't know
1: well there's a whole bunch of things there and proof of what i'm going to say is what's happened in the last three or four or five weeks and what i'm talking about is the twitter files now whatever you whatever you think about the twitter files they're pretty significant and you know not a single mainstream network in the united states has said anything about it. They've spent zero time on it. I mean, uh, some have like Fox news, but the biggies, ABC, NBC, zero, no coverage. And so when, when you start to think about why aren't more people getting on about this? I mean, you know what? Half a million people have read our report, but when you think there's 38 million people in Canada, and maybe half of them are uh, read, read, can read, and well, that's another topic. But um, so the numbers get pretty small. So when you, when you watch, and I don't, but if you watch CBC or you watch Global or you watch any of those networks in, in, in Canada, it's completely the opposite. And or they know that people only read, most people only read the headline and the summary paragraph, the first paragraph, and they don't read the rest of it. Government knows this, media knows this. So you'll see an article on whatever, whenever those mainstream media outlets are, and the headline says this, but if you actually sat down and read the rest of the article, they're being almost honest because the real words are in there and the real truth is in there, but people don't read it. And as an example of that, there is a a study done by um, CDC last year, and the headline of the study, and I, this is in the report, and it's and it's I believe it's on, it is in the webcast, but the headline of the report was, you know, good fitting masks are absolutely effective and essential, something like that. I, I'm going by my memory, but. This, and then there was a summary that they had done this great study and it proved that masks were effective and da 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 Okay, so that's the headline on the CDC report and the summary. But if you read the report, it told you that the study they did was only in operating rooms with doctors, trained doctors and nurses, and they, and they properly fitted the masks and they only evaluated it in, in, in this professional situation, and there really wasn't much effort to say that uh, uh, evidence to say it did anything except maybe stopping a, some spittle coming from the doctor's mouth or blood splashing in the doctor. That was what it actually said, and then it went further to say, in the in the body of the report, well, you know, this can't be translated into uh, into the general public, and uh, you you know you really shouldn't. Uh, think that this doesn't have any bearing on someone who's wearing it for like eight hours, blah, 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 blah. So you actually read the report. This is what it said. But you read the headline in the summary. It said the complete opposite. And so when the CDC is doing that, when Health Canada is doing that, when when the the mainstream media who are all being paid for by the, our government, so they're at, and we talked about, you know, taking money before, I mean, which which mainstream media outlet was like a couple of weeks ago or a month ago begging for more billions of dollars from the government? I, I I hesitate to name one if I get it wrong, but
0: there was someone out again with their hands out. I think it was Global, wasn't it? I I, I wanted to say that, but I don't I want to be sued I, by Global. <laughs> I, I think it was Global. I can't remember, but I mean, um I just uh, you know I like how you stick to the facts. I I I, uh, I mean, it's just media is a is an interesting place um oh, yeah i it's mean it's only it's only been in the last uh geez folks what was tom on tom korsky from black locks reporter right he gets removed from uh the press gallery and that's the only media source in the press gallery that isn't uh taking any money from the government right yeah and yeah. i mean you go win one plus one it probably equals two at this point, right? Like it's just yeah. it's it's everywhere, and uh, I don't know uh, the the Twitter files thing. Ken is eye opening, right? Yeah. Like, and if you're not following along with that, it just shows how much uh, um, the relationship between Twitter, FBI, and how they suppressed a ton of stuff. Yeah that goes to donald trump that goes to elections that goes to uh 19 i'm probably leaving out a whole bunch but you can go read it right now like uh, you get so pause this and go read i think there's seven of them now maybe eight seven
1: yeah yeah something like that Then the last one came out like i think friday this past friday and um there's more to come by the way
0: there's, and, well there's and, more to come and and yeah. you're just like and every time it comes out you're like Oh man, it takes you. Uh, uh, it's funny though. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, you, you make uh, you you poke at uh, people not reading it. Twitter files probably takes you fifteen minutes of reading. And the yeah. last one, I got to like twenty three because of course it's in a thread. And I got to twenty three, and I'm just like, how long <laughs> is this thing? And it was like it was like forty two or something. I'm like, okay, Sean, just. And I don't know what you know. So I, I'm I have the same problem a lot of people have. Right. Like I'm trying to get through it. And sometimes my brain is just like, you know, get to the point.
1: Well, there's so much coming at you from so many directions. And, you know, there's there's no challenge coming from our media uh, towards our government. And and there's a there's a well, really it, it, the,
0: the rise of independent media is challenging. Yeah. It's, oh, just, yeah. yeah. It's just it's just independent is is difficult because um you know like how much how much money are you going to spend to try and get your 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 visibility up because you know uh through COVID I mean I I was talking about YouTube and I I tell this story lots but I was just it was at the time the the Ottawa convoy goes I'd had Chris Barber on a week before they left he was one of the the main guys he's vaccinated like we didn't talk about anything one of the questions i had was like where's the money going and he had this lovely answer to it he's pulled over on the side of the highway and i mean youtube nuked my account like gone never coming back scorched earth like like just gone and for a guy like me you know that's kind of devastating right because you're 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 trying to build a brand for yourself you talk about uh 000, um uh, copies of the report across Canada and the size of Canada and everything else—it's—it's uh, it's things like that where you're like, why doesn't it? Why like because I, I I've read uh, the report and I I've read the I think the the infographic is like for a lot of people would be beautiful because it's like, like I don't know ten pages long and and it really nails down a lot of what the report's about, but like. They're showing it on Twitter like the shadow Banning and all that stuff. Well there's a reason why you know it's such an uphill battle when you're on the independent side. Big Tech is just as much in collusion with anything else, and that's how we all uh, spread um, what we're talking about and trying to fight back against it, right Like it's 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 depressing some days, Ken. And you can't, you know, with Christmas here, you know, it's, it's, uh, you you know, you got to find ways to look at it optimistically because uh, there's, I'll tell you one thing. And I'm sure you, you would uh, say the same is the amount of interesting folks I've met on this side is I can't, I can't name them all. Like it's, it's been, that has been super, super cool and uh, really inspiring actually, because there's a lot of cool stories out there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure your story is similar to ours. You know, we were doing our life and we had our collection of friends that you'd accumulated, you know, over 40, 50 years. And when this whole thing happened and we woke up, I think we lost 99% of those friends. Hmm. And we have a completely, apart from one or two, we have a completely new community that we're in. And it's much larger and I can tell you that in that entire community, which blossomed out of the what we call the no-name dinner club, <laughs> that's what we called our little group, there is not a single person out of those 40 or 45 people, not a single one, that I wouldn't jump at the chance of going out and spending an evening with them and just talking. Because none of them sit there and talk about the new condo or the new Audi they just bought or the new this or the new that. They talk about real things. They talk about their family. They talk about this country. They talk about things that are going wrong in this country. They don't have, there aren't the preconceived silo type of categorizations that you know we used to have in our group and and so for us personally the evolution or revolution to this new community we're in is both eye-opening and very satisfying <laughs> you know again we've got more community now than we've ever had you know we're we're we're, we're, we're a lot more people have reached out to us from across the country, you know, you feel like you're part of something, and and it's not just the nihilistic existence. So there there has been an upside for us too, and I, I'm I'm sure that's what you're referring to and what you've experienced.
0: It's funny, I've um, I uh, I would say the podcast had a huge. I, I I don't know. I actually, you know, there's been lots of people who listened from the start, but in the start, I was you know, hockey players and sports stories, and you yeah. know. So I flipped a, a, ch- a huge chunk of my audience. There's there's just no doubt about that. Uh, a lot of people were frustrated that I wouldn't stop talking about it and haven't stopped talking about it, obviously. But I'm like, you know, at one point I was just like, you know, I'm going to talk about it until things change. Because, I mean, like, we can't act like this isn't going on when it so clearly is. Um, but personally, I, it's funny, Ken. I've been able to... I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm... I don't know. I personally, I've been able to keep my friends, my friends, and certainly add in a few more, but it hasn't been uh, quite a jettison of what I had there before. And I don't know if that's my wife. I don't know if that's my family and friends. I, I actually don't. I actually don't know. But we had a, you know, I bring this up often. We had a book club we started in twenty eighteen. There was five men so me two brothers and then uh and then two friends and that really became uh through all of this podcast formed out of it it's the reason i started it uh before COVID had hit it was 2019 when i started it'll be four years here in february and um that uh, little group uh debated this right from the start, and we were not all on the same page. We never are, and I don't think that's, uh, uh, well, I I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to have differing opinions yelling at each other, and believe me, there was some tense times in there. But it was an an outlet that I don't think a lot of people had. You know, you talk about how long you had until the no-name dinner group formed. Um, The first meeting I ever went to, I think was Christmas, December, December, 2020 was the first time for kids sake, which was a group that got formed in this area. Uh, it didn't have that name at the time, but that's, that was what it was. It was like 50 or 60 people met in a barn, you know, funny that like, it sounds weird to come out of my mouth now. Cause I mean, it, but that's how strange it was back then. Right. Everybody met in a barn and, you know, you just kind of like threw things at a dartboard and tried. And so I think, uh, one of the things I had over a lot of people, uh, early on, was uh, an inner group of guys that I could argue with, and I did argue with, over and over and over and over. We never stopped arguing. We still argue to this day. Um, But it allows me the space to get out of my head what I'm thinking. And uh, I think as a population, more people need that. Uh, The ability to, you know, have a safe space to, whether it's a dumb thought or not, just have the opportunity to say it. And then go, hmm, that's an interesting thought um, or or what's wrong or right about it. Because uh, when you get trapped in your head, you can feel pretty alone. And uh, through COVID, a lot of us felt it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, either side of that coin, a ton of people felt just absolutely isolated and didn't think they could talk about anything. And now in the political realm, you know, um, if you're left or right, it's almost the same silos again. You know, nobody wants, I don't know if I can talk about things again. Well, you got to find ways, too, because uh, it's very, very healthy for uh, an individual to get off, off their chest what's uh, on their mind and what's weighing them down.
1: Well, you, you know, it's it's an interesting thing uh, when you were talking about that. Or it kind of reminded me of something that occurred to me. The, the government has been harping on us since I was a small child in school when they came up with this great idea. And they keep telling us that diversity is our strength. You've got to embrace this. you got to embrace that. da 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 Diversity is our strength, but it's not diversity of color, height, sex, uh, whether you've got false teeth or real teeth or whether you wear glasses or don't wear glasses. It's diversity of thought and opinion. Mm. That is strength. A A healthy society that can support a diversity of thought and opinion. It's not what the government tells you. Every moment the government, every chance they got, they're trying to pull the foundations out from you. They're trying to tell you you're a conspiracy theorist. They're trying to tell you you're a racist. And the basis of all of these things that they're telling you is because of a racist idea. You know, it was interesting to me. And I'm going to get myself into trouble on this, but God darn it, it's the truth and all the research I did about COVID and whether you believe that COVID existed or not, but just using the government's data again, the main things that affected your supposed risk of getting COVID had to do with what they call comorbidities. In other words, you're obese, you've got cancer, you've got uh, some kind of lung damage or heart damage or something. If you had, I, th- I can't remember the figure it's in the report. I think it's like, 43% of everyone who reportedly died of COVID had three or more serious comorbidities. Okay, so we know that. So what did the Canadian government do? The Canadian government said at a certain point, oh, if you're native, you can get the shot down. Wait a minute. If we're a non-racist society, where does being native or or, or European or Asian or anything else come into play. It should have been, if you're obese, if you have a heart problem, if you have a lung problem, if you have a this, that, or the other thing, then you're eligible. But they had to put race in it. It has nothing to do with it. Now, a lot of people are going to mad get at, mad at me about this. But if you don't see race like I don't, I don't care if you're from Scotland or if you're from Uh, 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 BC, or if you're from Africa, or wherever you're from, I don't care. I don't see that. I honestly don't. So why is it that every time the government turns around, they're jamming that down our throats, you can get the vaccine if you're Native. You can get this if you're whatever. You can get this grant. I remember being... (laughs) I'm going off, I'm going a little off here, but I remember being, I I was taking a a master's uh, course degree uh, in the late 1990s. I was working for a big national engineering company at the time, and it was advantageous to me to do this, so I'm going to night classes, right? And uh, they had a government, federal government person come in, and the class, by the way, was probably 50-50 women and men, and I don't know, whatever else. But they had a a person come in from the government of Canada that gave a whole talk for the whole hour one time about how all this money is available to you to start a business and we're going to support you. We're going to give it, oh, but you have to be a woman. Did I not pay taxes as a man all my life and for my family? Why is it that I'm being put at a disadvantage now and going forward for... supposedly crimes of the past which and all of the data and stuff they talk about with regard to, and I'm getting controversial here is in my opinion crap there hasn't it's not that there hasn't been people of either sex that have been discriminated against or hurt or found themselves in a bad position at some time or other we all have I don't care if you're Scottish Polish Italian Nigerian it doesn't matter we've all you cannot look I challenge you to look at a single group of people in this society on this planet who haven't been subject to something slavery my own people came from Scotland uh, mm-hmm. uh because of what was called the clearances and most people don't even know what that is but the, the overlords were throwing people up the land they were starving to death that's why there were so many Scottish people came to Canada particularly in Manitoba. I digress again but my point is, is that every time the government can, they throw race or something in it at the same time saying diversity is our strength. But then they're telling you what a terrible person you are because you see race and all these other things. And we don't. The average Canadian doesn't. But the government's even using that to pull your supports out from you. You, you can't be certain. You're, you know, It's like... I told somebody the other day, you know, if I come up to you and I just give you a push on your chest, chances are you're going to laugh at me or say, what the heck are you doing? But if I make you stand on one leg or on your hand and I give you a push, guess what? You're falling down. And that's what the governments are doing to us. Oh, you terrible racist. You don't want to have this or that in your schools. Well, you're, you're a racist. You're an anti this or an ism that or something like that. You know, what? I don't care what you do in your own house. I don't care what you do in your own bedroom just don't make me do it. Don't make it. You know, I hate to quote this guy because I have such disdain for him and his family. But Pierre Trudeau said, the government has no place in your bedroom. And that's still true today. That's a a euphemism. He was talking specifically, but it's a euphemism for everything. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care. I I care if you're a good person. I care if you're you're working hard for Canada and your family. I care that you're part of our community. I don't care what language you speak. But the government's using that against folks, and they're falling for it over and over again. (laughs) Sorry, went off on a tangent.
0: (laughs) No, it's quite all right. Um, I was having a conversation with a comedian who was in in town. um, This is the start of December, and he was talking about uh, um, quotas. Uh, for comedy shows, uh, you know, uh, they can only have so many white, uh, comedians. And I was saying to him, man, that's a really, he's like, ah, no, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's just the business. And I was like, oh, that's pretty messed up. I'm, I'm like, I, I, I understand what they're trying to do. But if I'm in the audience, I want the five funniest people at the show. I don't care. I do not care. And if that's five women, so be it. Uh, but, you know, like in our country, we, uh, well, actually, I, what I, and then what I said to him, I said, it's funny, when on this podcast, in the first 150 episodes I did, I would say it was majority men, white, whatever, and I was talking about sports, but in general, hockey, and you know what, a couple times I was asked if I ever had women on, and there was a couple underlying things there, and I was, you know, I, I was like, well, I'm not trying to be, you know, whatever, it was like, I want the best, from like a ninety nine point whatever percent sport that is white that is you know older men now that have the great stories because they can talk about times that you know truly hockey was legendary uh amongst other things, and what I was saying to him was and now that i've I've switched to current events and I look for like good stories and people with heads on their shoulders, I've never been more diverse in my, in my life. Yeah. Um, you look for the best. You're gonna find people that come from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all skin colors, all races, uh, both genders. I had a stretch where I did like six women in a row because they're they're talking about stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, to me, that's you get out of the way. You try and you try and uh, um, uh, you know, I go back to comedians. You try and like, no, we need to have one who's black, one who's native. Uh, two white guys and a female, or whatever it is, and I feel like maybe it could be great. Maybe maybe it is great, but I also go there's going to be some really good comedians that people probably don't get to hear from because they fit into a, a category that uh, is full, you know, and that could actually work. That could actually work against. Uh, a black comedian. Cause what if there's like two really, you know, there's Dave Chappelle and then there's, you know, and somebody's somebody somewhere is going, and then there's the next guy. I can't think of him, but <laughs> you, you get the point. Uh, I uh, like I would gladly go see whatever the show is. I just want it to be funny. I don't yeah. want it to be, well, we're, we're, we're anyways, I, you know, I'm an
1: absolutist about that. Racism's racism is racism. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It's not okay to discount a resume from uh, an Asian person or a white person or something because you're looking for a certain color. That's racism, period. I'm old enough to remember in the early 60s, after the Americans passed the Civil Rights Act, then they instituted this um, policy of uh, what they call—they always—they always give cool names for stuff. Affirmative action, and the premise behind affirmative action was: we know it's racist. We know that when we get ten resumes and we have to specially consider certain ones because of their race, by definition, that's racism. But we're only going to do it for a short time. Don't worry; it'll only be for a couple of years, so we can get the things moving. Well, 60 years later, or 50, somebody out there smart is going to do the arithmetic and say, oh, no, it's 55. But 55 or half a century later, we're doing that and accelerating it. But we just changed the names to things. We've changed segregated to safe space. <laughs> you know, we put different names on it. it. The Americans are the best at this. You know, they pass the most insane legislation, but they put a cool name on it, like... Um, after 9-11, you know, they they implemented a whole new alphabet agency and they instituted a whole bunch of spying and restrictions against their own people. And they called it the Patriot Act. <laughs> they didn't call it we're gonna spy on you and and follow your phone and everything else act. No, no, they, and and it goes on to this day. They just passed another one. I just trying to think of what the name of the Anti-Inflation Act, and it's the complete opposite. <laughs> And and Canada doesn't do that. I mean, we we call it you know C nineteen or C twenty one or whatever, yeah. but it, they just change the name of things, and people think it's okay. Racism is racism. The definition of racism is is that you consider an a a intrinsic quality of somebody in the, the, the in the analysis. Like you, it's not just their skill set, their merit. It's something else you consider as well, and that's by definition racism and the government is doing it to us every single day and they're pointing the finger at you and they're pointing the finger at me and they're calling us the racist and we're so against that I, I, I tell you it's it's their big inoculator they inoculates government inoculates himself against any criticism oh you can't say that because you're a racist and, and P- Canadians are so against racism. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA that we just shirk back from that. We shut up because it's so abhorrent to us to be called a racist. Well, I'm a racist. Come on. And they know this. You know, just like they know you only read the headline, folks. <laughs> they know if they call you a racist that you're going to back off and you're going to, because it's so abhorrent to you. And we've got to get over that.
0: Well, I've really enjoyed sitting with you, uh, Ken. Um, Before I let you out of here, we got to do the crude master final question and uh, shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald, who've supported the podcast since the very beginning. And uh, it's Heath's words. He said, if you're going to stand behind a cause and stand behind it, absolutely. What's one thing Ken stands behind? You know what?
1: The only thing that matters in the end is truth and your family community Mm -hmm. you don't have a truth I don't have a truth there is one truth I have a story but there is only one truth folks don't take my word for it don't take any other experts word for it we're past that we're out of kindergarten now you've got to do some research on your own you've got to seek out the truth there's only one truth There's not a different truth for Sean. There's not a different truth for you. There's a different experience. There's a different story, but there's only one truth. So to me, you're absolutely right. Stand behind your position, 100% research position. And if you you find something that causes you to change, that's the truth, then you go that way.
0: Hmm. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me time today, Ken. Uh, I always enjoy meeting new people, and you have not been a letdown uh, at all.
1: Well, I hope my meanderings didn't go too far afield. <laughs> I think that comes with the color here. <laughs> I'll get into trouble about that too. <laughs> but I really enjoyed uh, meeting you and speaking with you, and I hope we can get together again soon.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. We will. Uh, we'll see where the roads uh, cross, as they will, I'm sure, uh, in in 2023. Uh, uh, Merry Mish- Chris. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. All that good stuff. Uh, absolutely. I uh, hope to you and yours out o- o- east.
1: I hope you and your, you know, being in Manitoba, I'm not used to being called out east. But, I know. But, you know, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have a great and peaceful Christmas in I, your family uh, and that you take the time to enjoy them. Because, again, that's one of the absolutes. That's one of the truths of our existence.
0: Thanks, Ken.